Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Amen. Morning, Hope Rock Church. It's good to be with you all this morning. Happy Easter. Hope you had a wonderful day today. So far, hope you've had fun. Hope you've celebrated with your family and had a good time. Uh, if you're a visitor here, thank you for coming. It's good to celebrate Easter with you. Uh, if you've never been here before, welcome. And we really want you to feel welcome today and feel special. And so because of that, we've made coffee for you. Normally, we don't give people coffee. I'm just kidding. We love everyone. Everyone's welcome. Hallelujah. Even those that you keep coming back. Mark, thank you. It's good to have you here. Over the past few weeks, we as a church have been going through a little mini Easter series. Uh, and let me just start my timer because I get myself into trouble otherwise. We've been going through a little Easter mini-series. So two weeks ago, we looked at this concept or the reality that Jesus is revealed. And that should spark in us a greater desire to want to know more of Jesus. And so we looked at what does revelation mean? You know, more of Jesus means that we see him clearer. It means that he's more real to us than ever before. And we should want more of that, every single one of us. We should never get to a place in our lives where we think, oh, we know everything there is to know about Jesus. Because if you get there, you've probably been deceived. Then last week, Sunday, we looked at this notion that Christ is in us. It's a fact. It's a reality. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. What does that mean for us? How does that change or affect the way we live our lives? Do we walk around this world, engage with people and the lost in a way that says to them, I love you the same way Jesus loved everyone? Or do we walk with our own pride, our own arrogance and treat people like the Pharisees would have treated them? Christ in us means we love people the same way Jesus loves them. And this morning, of course, it's Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be celebrating the fact, not the notion, not the idea, not the you know, myth or the legend, but the fact that Jesus is risen. Not was risen, he is risen. He's alive. Tim said so this morning. He read the scripture. And he's rising, he's releasing from death uh, or coming out of the tomb is the masterpiece of this message of salvation. God was literally using this as the pinnacle, the moment in which he could say, I have done it. Look at this beautiful picture of my son who has been raised from the dead. Easter's not about, you know, Easter bunnies and chocolate, although that's pretty cool. And if there is any chocolate, I'll take it. And bunnies are, bunnies are cute. But Easter's about love. It's about the love of the God of the universe for his creation. Unfortunately, love is a concept or a notion that has been cheapened in the world that we live in. See, we've been convinced or told or taught, and Hollywood's given us a picture of what love should be. And so I've got a picture here of what love generally represents. It's passion. It's romance. I mean, these two look really in love, and they're a cute couple, and it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be in love with your spouse and to have cool pictures like this. I'm not knocking the picture. But love is a lot more than just passion and romance. In fact, when the God of the Bible looks at love, he looks at it through the eyes of pain. He looks at it through the eyes of blood. He looks at it through the eyes of suffering. He looks at, the, at it through the eyes of the cross. Any minute now. Hallelujah. That's how God the Father looks at love. When he sees this, he sees the perfect picture of love. You see, this is a picture of a holy God, a just God, a good God, a God that is so holy, in fact, that he could not break his unbreakable rules of justice. The reason why Jesus looks like that is because it took that to bear the brunt of our sins. That's what our sins look like on him. And Jesus did not escape it. God didn't say, because you're my son, I'll treat you better than everybody else. I'll make it less on you. No, he got what we deserved. And the devastation that you see on that body is what 
ultimately all the sins of the world look like on one man. None of us in this room, no man in all of creation could ever have been able to withstand that but God. His justice, his goodness, his love, his mercy is significant because it shows us what we were capable of receiving had we not changed. And so instead of looking at that cross as a torturous event only, what we should do is look at Jesus as the son and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that your justice is meted out perfectly and it wasn't on me, but it was on you because I would never have been able to take that. And the fact of the matter is, friends, the life that Christ lived qualified him for the death that he died. And the death that Christ died qualifies us for the life that we live. That's what the gospel is all about. And we should celebrate it this morning. Yet in this postmodern, post-Christian world that we live in, if you go out there and ask many people what they think of Jesus, what they'll tell you is he's nothing more than a prophet or a teacher or maybe even a good man. But Jesus is so much more than just a good man. He's not a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He is the son of God. And on that cross, all those years ago at Calvary, Jesus took our ugly so that we might have his beauty. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He suffered sorrow so that we could have joy. He bore our sicknesses so we could be healed. He endured anguish so that we might have peace. He faced despair so that we could have hope. He was judged so that we could be forgiven. And he was punished so that we could be justified. That's what happened on the cross. And when all of that was done, when the full account of sin was paid, it is clear in Scripture, Jesus died. He died on that cross. On Friday, if you were here for our Good Friday meeting, you'll remember this. In the moment of Jesus breathing his last, last breath and yielding his spirit up, because he gave up his life, we didn't take it from him. It says that the, the temple veil, the curtain that separated the holy of holies, the presence of God from humanity was torn. From that moment onwards, the veil was gone. From the top to the bottom, it was torn, not from the bottom to the top. The significance there is that God came to us. We didn't go to him. We cannot build temples to reach God. We can't build towers to get to God. He has to come to us. And so he comes down in Jesus. The temple veil is torn in two from the top to the bottom. And from that moment onwards, humanity can once be reconciled to God if... We make the right choices. The invitation is open. Jesus died on the cross for a purpose. He gave us the great invitation. But the story doesn't end there with Jesus dying on the cross. Because the fact is, Jesus didn't stay dead. He is risen. So let's bow our heads and pray as we continue to hear more of what God wants to say to us this morning. Father, I just commit this message into your hands. I know that it's easy for us to get distracted and confused and perhaps even just caught up in our own thinking. I pray that this morning you would clear our minds, Lord, that you would just let us hear your voice, not my voice, your voice, Lord. Speak through me, do whatever it is that you want to do, and we give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor, Lord Jesus. This meeting is for you, Jesus, to celebrate the fact that you are risen. And we thank you for all that you do for us already, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read from verse 1. I've got three points for us this morning, three areas I want us to go to, three different scriptures. First one is this, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. When it says they, it's talking about Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, and a lady called Joanna. We've read the scripture before, in fact, two weeks ago. We read portions of this, in fact, the moments after this. And they took the spices that they had prepared. The purpose of the spices, friends, to be clear, 
is to anoint Jesus' dead body. They couldn't do it on the Friday because it was Passover, and so they couldn't anoint Jesus. So they're going to anoint him. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These weren't models. They weren't, you know, Calvin Klein models. These were angels, right? The fact that they looked blinged up was because they were sent from heaven. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. I love this Luke account of that. Tim read another one this morning, but this account gives us these two sentences. You see, the first point for us this morning is to understand that Christ was risen for a reason. There's a reason Christ was resurrected from the dead. Two of the most powerful, impactful, beautiful sentences in all of scriptures are these. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? For he is not dead. He is alive, as he said he would be. Friends, the God that we serve this morning, if you call yourself a Christ follower, is alive. Yet if we're honest with ourselves, in our minds, in our thinking, in our thought patterns, we often treat him as if he's dead. Sometimes we think he doesn't even know what we're doing. We'll sin on the sly, sin in the secret, not do things and think, oh, we're somehow getting away from God. Now, please, I'm not trying to bring judgment on anyone. There's freedom here. But my point is Jesus is alive. He's alive in me. He's alive in you. And so whilst it's critical that we understand and know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, it's more critical for us to understand that he was resurrected. And the reason why it's important for us to understand that he was resurrected, because in that moment, God the Father stamped across all of history, paid in full. That's what the resurrection means. It is done. It is complete. We'll get to that a little bit later. But paid in full. What's been paid in full? The price for my sins has been paid in full. The cross started that. Jesus' earthly ministry started. The cross finished it, but the resurrection sealed it. It's the promise that was sealed, the oath, the covenant. It cannot be taken away from us. And we have to understand this because if we start to believe that we are the masters of our own destiny, we're in trouble. You see, the fact is God formed us, every single one of us in this room. Even if you don't or have not made a decision to follow Christ, I need you to know this morning that God formed you. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 tells us we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are his image bearers on this earth in his likeness and in his image. Everybody equal, the same. There is no better, no worse. No right version of of what you should look like, no wrong version. All of us are equal. It doesn't matter what shoes you wear, what clothes you wear, where you grew up, which country you come from. We are all equal in the sight of God. God created us for one simple job, to take his image, his likeness, and take it to the world. That's what Eden was about. Eden was a place. But God said to Adam and Eve, take Eden and multiply. Take what I've given you here and take it to everyone. That's our job today, to know Christ and to make him known. It's exactly the same thing that Adam and Eve were given in the garden. But guess what? We failed. Why? Because sin got in the way. Now, I know you might think that it's, you know, maybe at least not think nowadays. It's far more, uh, I suppose, less controversial to believe in evolution and the Big Bang than it is to believe in creation and intelligent design. But I want you to know that it takes more faith to believe in the Big Bang and evolution than it does to believe in intelligent design. But God formed you. But guess what happened then? Sin deformed us. Sin entered the world. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so death entered humanity. For those of you that have been a part of this church for some time, you'll know we went through this in Genesis. Sin came in and caused death and devastation. And we don't have to look very far. In fact, you don't even have to look very far outside of your own life to realize what the devastation of sin is. Sometimes it's in your life. 
or in your family members' lives. But most certainly, when we look out across the world, when we look at the nations of the world, and we look at the hatred and the absolute disgusting stuff that's going on out there, we realize sin has done a number on us as people. It's killing us. What's worse is it just infects everything. It's not just about devastation. It's not just about hopelessness. But every system of the world is broken. There is no man that can give us any hope. There is no political system that can give us any hope. They might try their best and do their best and do this and do that, but nobody in this world can give us hope because sin is there. Wherever you see people, you're looking at sin. And that includes us this morning. So God formed us, sin deformed us, but then guess what we did? To try and counteract that, we tried to get religion to reform us. And so we become religious. Paul says to Timothy in one of his letters to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says to him, Timothy, you must be careful of a particular type of people. I'm paraphrasing now. He says they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny his power. And I've always wondered about that statement. Like, what does it mean to deny the power of God? What does it mean? How can you be godly and deny his power at the same time? What Paul is saying is these people say the right things. They dress in the right way. They go to the right prayer meetings. They read their Bible in front of the right people. They've got all the right Christianese to say whenever they need to say it. But when it comes down to it, why they think they're saved has got nothing to do with God. It's got to do everything to do with them. That's what it means to deny the, the power of God. It means that the cross wasn't enough, and so I've got to add to it. So sin deformed us, but we've taken religion, and we try to make it reform us. It can't do that, friends. Religion is not going to change anybody this morning. Jesus never came to this earth to die for religion. He came to die for you. He came to die for me. In fact, Jesus himself challenged religion. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, he called them. He said, You're like whitewashed tombs. You look pretty good on the outside, but on the inside you're dead. You're full of dead people's bones. Religion is like us taking very expensive perfume and going to a funeral and spraying it on the casket and thinking the body smells great and the body will never stink again. It's nonsense. It's just a lie. It's a veneer. Religion says do. Jesus says it's done. Religion is about me. Relationship is about him. We need to get out of religion. If you're here this morning and caught up in religion, I need you to understand that the reason you need to get out of this religious nature of ours and we're all capable of it is because we are not actually just bad people. We're dead. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your trespasses, we are literally the living dead, every one of us, the walking dead, whatever you want to call it. Not as ugly. I'm not saying anyone here looks like, anyway, I'm not going to go there. But we are dead people. And no amount of religion can raise the dead. But I know somebody who can raise the dead. A savior, a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. And so after sin deformed us and religion tried to but failed to reform us, then what we did is we go to the next best thing. And so we go to education, right? So it can inform us. That's what humanity does to try and fix itself in the sight of God. Information is not revelation, friends. You can have all the information in the world, but not have a revelation of who Jesus is. You don't even have to be Christian to read the Bible. Do you know that? When you go and buy the Bible in a bookstore or online, they don't say, listen, are you a believer? Did you give your life to the Lord? Are you qualified to read this book? Anybody can have it. In fact, I know a lot of people who know the Bible backwards who don't believe in Jesus. Eventually, though, what's crazy is they read it and they do believe in Jesus in the end. They start off by trying to 
break down the Bible and prove that it's not true. In the end, they give their hearts to the Lord, so that's a good thing. But revelation is different to information. We live in a world where information is readily accessible to everybody and anyone on the internet. Just open your phone right now. You'll see it everywhere. But we live in a world that's more hopeless than ever. We live in a nation where we have some of the greatest higher level learning or whatever, tertiary education, whatever you call it in America, higher level eh? institutions. Like you know what we call institutions in South Africa? Psychiatric institutions. <laughs> Although I do think some of those universities are like them. They're like psychiatric institutions. But we live in a nation where we have these great institutions of higher learning. But you know what? I think sometimes they become an idol. And I know we've got some amazing sports players here, and I'm not trying to put him, make anyone guilty. And if you love Baylor, that's hallelujah, the Bears, whatever. You know, I don't know what to do all these things are. But my point is this. Institutions aren't going to change you. Knowledge is not going to change you. It doesn't matter if you go to the most expensive college in the world. It's not going to change you. Information cannot change us. What both religion, in fact, and education show us is that we don't need reformation from religion or information from education. We need transformation. We need to be a transformed people. In order for us to go from death to life, we have to be transformed. If you're dead and I start to teach you stuff, you're dead anyway, right? It's not going to just make you come alive. Only Jesus can do that because Jesus didn't come to this earth to teach the teachable. He didn't come to improve the improvable and he didn't come to reform the reformable. Jesus came to raise the dead. That's why you came. That's it. Simple. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are not a better version of yourself than you were yesterday. Yes, sanctification does it for us. But you are a new creation. You're not just a sinner trying to stay alive, holding on. You're a new creation. And when your flesh, fresh, when your flesh does rise up in you, and you start to recognize some of your dead man's behavior, all you have to do is remind the dead man that he's dead. And tell him, I'm alive. I'm a new creation. I don't have to live the way I used to live. We are new people. Second point, John 3:16. For God so loved the world. We all know this, right? This is probably one of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah. It's a powerful scripture. He's risen means that grace is not cheap, friends. But we've cheapened it in the world that we live in today. Grace is not cheap because it was for a cause. Grace came for a cause. It didn't just come. It came for a specific purpose. If we needed you know, to be taught, God would have sent us a teacher. If we needed more medication, God would have sent us a doctor. If we needed more money, God would have sent us a venture capitalist. And then he would have taken everything. Your whole company would have nothing left. I'm not hurt by, the, by them, by the way. <laughs> but we didn't need any one of those things. What we needed was a savior. And so God sent us Jesus. He sent us Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Grace was for a cause. The cause was me. The cause is you. Because we're all the lost. Grace is not cheap because it came at a cost. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave us his son. He didn't give us, you know, the, the next best thing. He gave us his son. I wonder how many of us in this room today would send our children willingly, you know, to, the, to their deathbed or to their crucifixion, knowing that the people we were sending them to die for were horrible people, rebellious. In fact, they were ungrateful. 
And for thousands of years, it scorned us. I don't know if I would send my kids. In fact, I can tell you right now, I would not send my kids. And thank goodness I'm not God. But he is, and he did, and he sent his son. And if, it, if you think it was easy, it wasn't easy for God to die on the cross. It wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. We read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and we think, you know, it says, we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and who counted it joy, right, to go to the cross, right? That's not what it's saying, Right? It wasn't as if Jesus was doing flick flacks up the Via de la Rosa, down the Via de la Rosa, because he was so excited to be nailed to the cross. He counted it joy, right? But then guess what he says after that? And he endured the cross. We don't endure things that we enjoy. We enjoy things that we enjoy. Endurance is something that takes and requires something of us. He endured the cross, and then it says he despised its shame. The cross wasn't easy for God. It wasn't easy for Jesus. And I truly believe that if there was another way, perhaps God would have taken it. I mean, we saw those pictures. We saw that picture. The picture of a son dying on a cross. The weight of sin on his shoulders. The cuts, the bruises. On Friday night, the men gathered and we watched the Passion of the Christ. And we saw that in raw detail. That's what sin cost God. Worse is it wasn't even his sin. Grace is not cheap because Jesus' death came with a condition. For God so loved the world that whomsoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The condition, friends, is you have to believe in Jesus. That statement, and I said it at our earlier meeting, is actually an offensive statement to good people. See, people that think that they've got everything covered, people that think that they're living good lives, find that statement to be quite offensive because what it's saying is your goodness has got nothing to do with it because you need Jesus, right? And if I'm good, that makes me angry because don't you dare tell me I need something else. I pay my taxes, look after my kids. I'm a good husband, good father. I'm a good person. God's not interested in good people. He didn't die for good people. He died for the lost and we're all lost. But for bad people, People that realize actually deep down when I examine my heart, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm lost and I'm in desperate need for a savior. This is the best news ever. Because our good works have got nothing to do with eternity. Our good works have everything to do with what Jesus did. And so whilst our good, good works can't save us, his work can. And so we don't believe in what we've done. We believe in what he did. There is a good work that can save. It's called the cross, the resurrection, Jesus Christ. Not yours and not mine. Jesus tells us in John 14 verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way apart from Jesus. He is the direction. That's what we're aiming for. He is the truth. There is no other truth that is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no life to be lived apart from the life in Jesus. And then he says this, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There are no two roads, 20 roads, 500 roads to heaven. If you believe in this word of God, I believe it. There's only two ways. You either believe or you don't. Nobody, we're not all going to the same place. Believe me when I tell you this. Maybe no one's told you that. Maybe this is a shock to you. I don't know. I'm sorry if I offend you this morning. But not everybody's going to the same place. We're just taking different ways to get there. That's nonsense. It's a lie. The world has convinced us of these lies. There are only two ways. Believe or don't believe. Up to you. God's not going to force anybody to believe. But make no mistake. There aren't many choices. I think God realized that we were pretty simple. One choice, Jesus. Grace is not cheap because it comes with a consequence. That whomsoever should believe in him will not perish but have 
eternal life. So the consequence is the opposite of eternal life, which is eternal death, right? If you don't believe, you'll have eternal death. Another word for that is hell, eternal punishment, fire and brimstone. And I know we don't talk about this often enough, or we try and avoid this topic of hell. Sometimes some churches don't even talk about hell anymore. Because the fact is a notion of a heaven where the saved go and a hell where the lost go is not really tolerant. It's definitely not inclusive. And so we don't talk about it. But I want to be clear. Good people don't go to heaven. And bad people don't go to hell. Lost people go to hell. Saved people go to heaven. There is no such thing as a good person in heaven. There are no, there are no good people on this earth. There's just varying degrees of sin, right? And the only thing that separates a saved person from a lost person is a decision that they make for Jesus. But believe me when I tell you, hell is a real place. And it's forever. And so what we'd rather do today to be more sort of accepted by society is we don't talk about it. And then we pretend to be Christian by believing what Matthew 22 says, that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? Let me tell you, if you know you're going to get burnt, you're not going to put your hand on the fire. But you're happy for your neighbor to do it. We don't love people if we don't tell them about hell. It's not love. It's the opposite of love. You know, we, we hide the, the notion of hell from people under the guise of tolerance and love. We want to be, God loves everyone. Man, that's the most unloving thing you can say. Yes, he loves everyone. But guess what? He's going to punish people that don't choose him. He punished his son. And God's not a cosmic child abuser. He sent him to us to die for us. And so if you want to be more loving, tell people the truth. Because if I can be uncomfortable in my flesh for a moment and maybe not speak to someone ever again, but just for that moment present Jesus to them in love, not in judgment, not because I'm better or good and they're bad, but because Jesus died for them and they might make the right decision, then guess what? I have saved them an eternity of suffering because they believed in Jesus. Not me, not my words, but his words. What would you rather do? Watch him go to hell? Or maybe, hopefully, the Holy Spirit draws him in and sends him to heaven with us. There's some words that, that talk about hell just quickly in the Bible. You know, these words are pretty descriptive. And when I read them, I was like, wow, you know, this is a real place. Words like no hope, no peace, no joy, no purpose. No purpose in hell. There is no purpose apart from suffering. There's no rest from torment. And there's no sleep. Nobody says amen to that one, especially on my wife. Anyone likes to have an afternoon nap here? Hell is the place you don't want to go to because there's no more sleeping. Stench, pit, prison, thirst, wrath, humiliation, shame, desolation, no life, fire, burning, fear, eternal separation, destruction, darkness, and punishment. That's what people get to look forward to for all of eternity if they're going to hell. Our job is to tell them that they don't have to. Not to be better people. Oh, you should try and be more holy. Go to church more often. You won't go to hell. No, believe in Jesus. Believe what he did. That's enough. You will be saved. And then guess what? You will desire to want to live a life with him. Last scripture, Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, he is risen. Means that it is finished. It's not in process. This is not to be continued. It is finished. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us that what Jesus did on the cross is complete. 
The work of salvation is complete, which means the pain of redemption, the plan of redemption, and the payment of redemption has been exacted. There is nothing to add to it, nothing to take away from it. We know this because Jesus told us. In John chapter 19, Jesus on the cross, just after he drinks the sour wine from the sponge, he says these words. He says, it is finished. The Greek word tetelestai means it is done. It is complete. There's nothing left to do. If a servant was using that word, he would use it to say, the job I've done is finished. I can't clean the floor anymore. If an artist was using it, it would be the final stroke of his masterpiece. It's done. It's complete. Look at it. If it was Einstein, it would be Eureka. If it was a high priest, it would be when they found a perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice. And they would say, it is done. Tetelesta is not, you know, a cry of defeat, friends. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring in victory. We look at a picture of a man on a cross and we think that is defeat. That's victory, friends. Tetelesta is, I have won. And he's roaring it over his creation. Tetelestai isn't Jesus saying, oh no, you know, I'm about to die. I feel like my strength is leaving me. It is him saying, I have finished what, what I was sent to do. The plan of salvation is complete. The gospel, the good news has been received because guess what? I'm here and I've sent it. And now the door to salvation is open for anyone. It is finished. Understand this, friends. The blood has been poured. The sacrifice has been made. And when we choose Jesus, we no longer fear death in our physical bodies. Death is just the beginning. There is nothing to be feared anymore because we have been pardoned. Now you've got to understand what the word pardoned means. Pardoned is not penance. Having penance is when we have to earn our way. We have to do things to be forgiven. We have to beat ourselves down. Pardoned is you are forgiven. There is no condition. Being pardoned is not being on parole. I know what that's like to be on parole. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> being pardoned is not being on parole. Parole is when you get released from jail. But, you know, to stay out of jail, there's conditions. You have to behave in a certain way. You have to do certain things. Being pardoned says you're free, go away. You cannot lose your salvation. If you believe in the finished work of the cross, you are saved. You just don't have to believe that, oh, I just don't have to screw up today. You know, salvation is not us holding out. Tyron always says it's God holding on, right? That's what it is. We're not on parole. Stop living like you're on parole. I think we live our lives like we're on parole. We make one mistake, we're like, oof, there it goes. I need to give my life to the Lord on Sunday and be baptized again. You don't have to do that, friends. Be free this morning. We make mistakes. I get it. I'm not excusing your sin either. Please don't. Uh, this is not hyper grace. I'm not saying just, we know grace comes at a cost. But the fact is, Jesus died once and for all. And there is freedom. And he died for freedom, friends. Not so that we can go back into a yoke of slavery to be released from a yoke of slavery. Don't let people put things on you that you're not meant to carry. And that's the last one. Being free or being pardoned means that we're free. If the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 36. The fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God is significant. Because it tells us not only did Jesus overcome death, but that him being seated at the right hand of God means he took his position of authority. Nobody sits down if they've got work to do. 
Jesus' work was done. And now he was in authority. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. No one can take that away from him. There is nothing and there is no force that can take it away from you. If you've believed it and you accept it and it lives in your heart, it is yours to have. And if we believe what we read in Scripture, and if we believe what over 500 eyewitnesses confirmed that they saw that Jesus was alive in physical body, if we believe that the tomb was empty and we believe the historians who confirm these accounts, Mark, you guys can come up then I want you to know that it means if all of those things stack up, that Jesus actually was who he says he was. He was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. What Peter told him, who am I? You're Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. That means Jesus is who he says he was. And if Jesus is who he says he was, it means that we as humanity are as lost as he says we were, right? And if we're as lost as he says we were, it means the only way we can get back to God is to accept Jesus Christ into our hearts. The only way we can reconcile that chasm that separates us from God is to believe in the finished work of the cross. Can I ask you to stand? When we look to Jesus, there are different ways that we can see him. And so I'm going to ask us a question this morning. How do you see Jesus today? We have visitors in this room. There are people here that I don't know. And so I don't want to assume anything. But how do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a liar? Someone that had nothing better to do but to come to this earth and deceive people? For what? I don't know. He didn't die rich. He didn't die wealthy. He died a really painful death. But maybe you see him as a liar. Or perhaps you see him as a madman, a lunatic. That you think he lost his mind and he thought he was something that he wasn't. Or do you see Jesus this morning as your Lord? Is he your Lord, your Savior, and your friend? If you see Jesus this morning as your Lord, your Savior, and your friend, I want to tell you this morning that you have eternal life to look forward to. That you will be seated in heavenly places with the King of Kings. That one day you will rule and reign with him and you will receive your reward in heaven. Where he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't see Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who's never made a decision to follow Christ and has never put their trust in the cross, I have to tell you this morning, and as uncomfortable as it makes me feel, I have to tell you that you are headed for eternal fire, pain, suffering, punishment, no sleep. You heard the things earlier. That's where you're going if you have not made the decision. Verbally, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to get a degree in theology. You don't have to have come to church before. You don't have to pray or study the word of God. You have to believe in your, in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And perhaps you're watching the stream and, and that's you. I don't know. But I want to give people an opportunity to make this decision this morning because it's an important one. The most important decision you'll ever make. So can you bow your heads, everybody, and just close your eyes? I want to ask if there's anybody here, or I don't know how we'll know if you're online, but if there's anybody that's never made this decision, just raise your hands where you are. There's something about making a public declaration of our faith. It means that we want people to know and we want people to see that we want to give our hearts to the Lord. And so if that's you, just raise your hands. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this again. 
the reality of not making this choice if you've never made it is one that is severe. I would be held accountable if I never told you that. And so if you haven't made this choice, now's the time to do it. For those of us that have, let's just pray and thank God and praise Him this morning for what He's done. But for those that haven't, I'm going to say a prayer and if you could just repeat it after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I've never seen you as a Savior. In fact, to be honest, I've seen you as a liar or a lunatic my whole life. But this morning, when I weigh up the realities of what could be and the truth that I've heard, I want to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you not only were raised from the dead, but that you are the Lord of the universe, that you paid the price for my sins, that you bore the penalty on the cross, and because of that, I'm saved. If you said that prayer today, you are saved, friends. And then the Lord laid in my heart, and I just want you to do business while we sing this next song of worship with the Lord. I think some people have mistaken religion for salvation. Friends, if you are religious and truly don't believe in the finished work of the cross, or if the enemy has convinced you that it's Jesus plus something else, you need to repent this morning. I repented earlier at our last meeting because I really felt it over my own life that I make it about Jesus and something else. If that's you, while we sing, just do business with the Lord. Just bring it to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. I was a hypocrite, or I have been a hypocrite, or I've relied in my own works, or in what other people have said, or in who I am according to the way the world sees me. But in you, Jesus, I'm more than enough. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this this group of people. And I thank you more than anything else that you are alive. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself more and more to us every day, that your life would shine through our lives, and that you'd give us the boldness and the courage that we need to preach this gospel message to the world. And the gospel is simple. Jesus Christ, crucified, raised to life, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.